Two guys. Two topics. Two, two, two. two opinions. You talk. Give me two. This is the split story of the day on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Dennis Dodd joining us right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Dennis, how much of that has to do with an eight or nine game schedule where the Pac-12 plays nine games inside conference? How much difference does that make, if at all? I don't think it makes any. I mean, I just got back from the Big Ten media days and uh, Tim Delaney, you know, laid out his strength of schedule thing. You know, we should be considered more because we play uh, nine games. That's him talking. Well, the fact of the matter is, in, in the, uh, uh, the Big Ten has left out of the playoff the last two years. We know that. The fact of the matter is, if Ohio State beats Iowa in 17 and or Purdue in 18, we're not having this conversation. They're in the playoffs. Nobody's questioning the Big Ten. Uh, the Big Ten has more major bowls than anyone, and I think it's not even close in its BCS form in 1998. So to say they're down, you kind of got to put it in, uh, in quotation marks. For the Pac-12, you just somebody's just got to win games. And that's a big ask these days when, you know, your flagship program, USC, is not it, – it's as down as I've seen it since Pete Carroll era started. I don't think that's even close to being controversial. Uh, Washington's going to be there. I, I picked Utah. I think Utah and Oregon are the two best teams in the league. But it's got to be nice if one of those went 11-1. and one. All right, we're going to have Chantel Jennings, who uh, covers the Pac-12 for The Athletic. She's got a piece out uh, right now. I would encourage anyone to read it. It is, uh, it is lengthy. She is very thorough uh, in, in her piece. You can tell she's been uh, working on it for a very long time. But it is uh, a big story in the Pac-12, and I, uh, she goes through a lot of different reasons why the Pac-12 might be lagging behind the other conferences. And I think she does a nice job uh, going through and thoroughly explaining why she feels like the conference is lagging behind and then examines uh, how it is, I guess, uh, or, or the reason it's come to all of this. Do you now, think that so far, I'm not sure that Utah fans, maybe they care about that, but they've been so dialed in on seeing their team win the conference that uh, whatever it is that the conference is hasn't been as big an issue with them as it as it will be this year. Let's right. say they win the conference this year and then they're a candidate for a college football playoff. Then they're going to care about that in a big way. But first, you got to get to the top of the hill. Right, and I think Utah's in the middle of that process, and maybe your diehard care-about-Utah-only fan, that's all that really matters. But I think the overall health of the conference is important if— well, let's go back to a discussion that we have last week, Gordon, or two weeks ago about Utah— not getting recognized as a college football powerhouse and why that is and what's left to accomplish to to achieve that. And that Maybe it's one step at a time, Jay. It is, and I agree with that. But the overall health of the conference plays a factor in that discussion. You know, the the how good is Utah and do they get the recognition and, and those sorts of things. Like, um, uh, I mean, it's not Utah, but take Washington State last year. They were a two-loss team. And they didn't get any sort of thought about the playoff whatsoever. Remember, Mike Leach was a little bent out of shape uh, about that while they were getting ready for their bowl. Uh, let's, say, let's say it had been USC that had had two losses. Would they, they would have been considered. That may have been 
uh, perception problem for the Cougars. I think it's a perception problem for the whole league. Yeah. I, and be. that's my opinion. Uh, maybe. So you think USC were, would have been shunted out uh, like that? Likely. Really? Oh. See, I know you, everybody from your generation puts USC on a pedestal, but I don't know if that exists like you think it does anymore. I don't know the answer to that. I just have a suspicion that uh, a marquee program like that, uh, and it still is a marquee name in college football, that they might uh, hold more sway. Well, how do you explain, though, that Washington State, when they lost to Washington in the Apple Cup, they dropped, and, and Chantel talks about this, before, right. uh, they dropped five slots in the college football playoff committee's ranking. Only two other teams had dropped that far at any point last year, and both those teams lost to unranked schools. Washington State lost a, a close one in the snow to the University of Washington. Uh, Austin, I believe she said, was ranked 16th at, at the, the time. time yeah. And then, and then went on right? to win the conference. Yeah. Right. Uh, I'm not denying the fact that the Pac-12 has a perception problem. There's no doubt about that. But is it a reality? I mean, is the Pac-12 a notch below uh, the other conferences? I think it is a reality. I think so, too. And, and she lays out an interesting case. And uh, uh, basically talking about how the the powerhouses, the most consistent teams that have made the the conference or the excuse me the playoff over and over and over again, have a higher conference winning percentage than eighty percent. And uh, the Pac-12 doesn't have anybody in the 80% range right now over that period of time. Uh, when it started, when the, the, the playoff started, uh, Oregon and Stanford were both ahead of that clip and then have since fallen off. So the conference is devouring itself. Right. It, but if it's devouring itself and it isn't perceived to be that good to begin with, then that's a double whammy. And that might be perception, what is different perception or reality the conference might be stronger but it just doesn't have the top end team which he's examined and not to uh not to pull a tony parks and bring up the team i root for as an example but i watched virginia tech when they they got into the acc and they i don't want to say dominated the league but they won a bunch of conference titles because the rest of the league was was spread out there was a bunch of average teams and there wasn't really a good team and now we see clemson and them being a top-end powerhouse, and the rest of the conference is just mediocre. It actually works It works to the benefit of the the conference to be top-heavy. Does that make sense? Right. It, it, I hear you. From a perception and a reality standpoint. By the way, news today, Vatek picked third in the Coastal Behind Division. Behind UVA and Miami, I saw it. Virginia number one over here. Vatek Hokies. Well, that's not going to be reality, I'll tell you that. You think that nothing to worry about, nothing to see here, it'll all fix itself? I just Bronco Mendenhall's calves? I don't see UVA winning the Coastal, but not that we need to go down that rabbit, rabbit right. hole. Well, yes. Wahoo. You brought up uh, tech, so I just, Wahoo. Well, but you understand my comparison. I mean, the, the ACC went through a little bit of an evolution of a league. I mean, there was one year where the ACC had like nine bowl teams or something like that, where it was just the, the parody across the board it was a bunch of good teams and there wasn't a great team and now Clemson comes along and they have a great team and the rest of the league honestly is not as good as it no. was then but the ACC is perceived much better because they have this one top end team which the Pac-12 has not had since those Oregon and Stanford teams kind of took turns winning the league hence your great example there so it's a, it would be better to have fewer good teams and one great team 
And that that seems counterproductive in my mind because as as basic college football fans, don't we want to see as many good teams and good yeah. games as possible? You know, but the, that that's not the most advantageous. It's funny anymore. that you bring that up, Jake, because if you went down to SEC country, they wouldn't believe what you're saying right now, or even suggesting that uh, that the Pac-12 is stronger in the middle than they are down there. That's been the great myth about the SEC for a long time. They have two or three, four top end teams most years, probably three most years that are really, really good. And then the rest of the team, they have their bottom schools too that aren't putting up much of a fight. See Arkansas under John L. Smith that one year. (laughs) It's so funny to me, the regional pride that comes. And and I know that there's been a lot of flux in conference changes and stuff like that. But still, Big Ten country, those people think that's the only place that football is played proper. SEC, forget about it. That's what they think down there. I don't know what they think in the Pac-12 anymore for all these reasons you've been talking about. Now, one interesting part of this this column or article uh, that Chantel wrote, that because the money is on top of everybody's right, mind, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's been well documented. The Pac-12 is, you know, the, the Pac-12 network is not producing the revenue that other networks are. Uh, the ACC has been the only P5 um, uh, conference that has been behind the Pac-12 in total amount distributed, and that's going to change this year because the ACC network is launching, and they're expecting to get an extra $10 million per school per year. And so she asked um, anonymous coaches what they would do. She kind of polled Pac-12 coaches what they would do with an extra um, – uh, she put it at two million, and I'm trying to remember exactly why she came to that. Uh, or I guess it was an extra two million per school that the ACC will be distributing. But she asked the coaches what they would do with that extra two million dollars, and staffing was the most common answer that she got. And you think everybody, you know, your normal college football fan out there is thinking, well, the NCAA dictates how many assistant coaches you can have, so you know why is that an issue? And it is for a couple of reasons. One, retaining those assistants. And two, a big thing in college football now is consultants. Ah, consultants. These schools are, are – and recruiting staffs, consultants and recruiting staffs. And these schools are employing in, – in Alabama, for example, is paying these consultants as much as hundred grand a year. Mm, not bad. And what they're doing is they're taking former coaches or math geeks, uh, analysis, uh, people that can do analysis, and they're paying them all this money to basically be – assistant coaches without being assistant coaches. And then the recruiting staffs, that's a huge deal. Mm-hmm. The NFL does this too. Right. But, yeah. And it, where um, Alabama had 19 last year, something like that, consultants. Wow. Utah had two. Oregon, that has the biggest budget in the Pac-12 that we know of, had four. 19? What are they doing with 19 guys? Winning football games. Going to the championship. Yeah. <laughs> Is that the reason, though? Winning games. Well, think about it, Gordon. I mean, the job of an assistant coach, right, is very broad. It's not just coaching and practice, but it's also coming up with game plans. It's also scouting. And most importantly, it's recruiting. Yes. So if you can basically have consultants picking up chunks of assistant coaches' jobs, they're more able and free up to be better at the things that are left on their plate. If you don't have to, if you have somebody on staff that does all the detail stuff with recruiting, and you're, you know, all of a sudden instead of, you know, the day-to-day minutia of contact and monitoring social media and and you know doing those sorts of things, and you can just cl- close, uh, concentrate on closing the deal, and you're 
other time is freed up to do other things. I mean, how advantageous. It's just manpower. Do you, you know think, what I mean? Do you think there are some assistant coaches who are jealous of the consultants? Because a consultant might have the ear of the head coach, whereas they don't. I wonder. I, I don't know. When you have that many people involved in a process, it makes me wonder how the politics all work out. Well, the... If you're Nick Saban and you rule with an iron fist. It's kind of like the king in his court. Yeah, right. Yeah. But, I, I mean, there, there's huge advantage. I mean, you talk about recruiting budgets, uh, ability to travel, and, and those sorts of things. I mean, these these little things matter. Did you did you see the video that LSU released of their new oh, football Oh, their $29 facility? million dollar locker room? Holy <laughs> cow, that thing looked like... What was that? It looked like a hotel in Dubai. <laughs> well said. That is well said. <laughs> well described there. Man, also. that looked like a place you'd want to hang out. And if you're a 17-year-old quarterback somewhere, isn't that a place you uh, might be tempted to go? Holy But if you're Utah and you can catch lightning in a bottle and really have a special season, this stuff is going to matter. This stuff, unless Utah goes undefeated somehow... This stuff is really going to matter. You mean and, the perception or the reality? Well, the perception for one, and then in the reality, if they are going to take the next step into being a you know a, a college football blue blood, if that's possible, then this stuff absolutely matters. So let me ask you another question, and she brings this up in the in the uh, article, but um, I I guess I'm curious to know your opinion and our listeners too. A lot is made of the conference schedule and how many games must be played in conference versus out of conference. Mm-hmm. Now, the SEC, they play eight. And then they oftentimes play, what, Southwest Missouri State? Well, a couple of those games, including one in November. So, in front of rivalry games, for instance. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, do you, how much of a difference do you think that makes? I think, a Pac-12, nine versus eight. What, what? What? How do you feel about that? Well, it depends on what you're trying to accomplish. And she makes the point: if you're trying to make the college football playoff, it's a big deal. But then we get to because it's a potential loss. Is that what? To, is that the main thrust? Is right. that the main disadvantage? Or, or what about the preparation that does your team getting ready for a playoff situation? Well, I think okay. So one loss makes a big, big difference. Yeah. So you have the the less potential to lose, like you said, but you also have less potential to lose the very next game, right? The cumulative effect, right? The cum- of of it all, where you get a break in November, where you're worn down and you're tired, and you get a you get a game to kind of gather yourself and and to to figure it out. But of course, so rev- what would you do? But revenue would you, would you ratchet it back to eight? But here, but you can't complain about one thing and then complain about the other. And there's a direct effect. Like we're talking revenue. Pac-12 is already behind in revenue. So if they get rid of a conference game. That's uh that's going to matter to ESPN when they're negotiating that contract because it, you it's know a lesser game. it's a lesser game. Utah Weber State is interesting to us around here because of the proximity of the schools, but guess who it's not interesting to? Everybody else. <laughs> now when you're the SEC and that money's going to flow regardless, of course you have the luxury of just saying, "Nah, we're good at 8. No problem." You look at the Big 10. They went from 8 to 9 not because they had to, but because they're greedy. <laughs> 
They were. It was nothing noble. No, and it certainly wasn't to get themselves into more college football playoff scenarios. It was because they want uh, they want more inventory, high end inventory, to sell to the television see, networks. See, this is difficult for me because I love to see great matchups. You know, I mean, I I, I get tired of games that just are absolute blowouts. I don't want to see that. Yeah. Do people really want to see that? Maybe they do. But they want to Maybe see... Maybe they're it. carnivores. They want to just see absolute uh, slaughters. I, I, but that, I don't think that's good for college football. They want to see their conference and their teams in the playoff. And they'll take one less regular season matchup, the, if that means... The problem with this is, do you sacrifice the quality of the regular season in order to have an end goal? Or an end to a means... Or a means to an end, I guess. Uh, is that worth it? Well, the SEC has that luxury because they're printing money down there and they're selling out games regardless, which is also an issue with the Pac-12, by the way. Not so much at, say, the University of Utah, but pretty much everywhere else. They're still worried about selling tickets. You've covered some games up there in Stanford. They sometimes yeah. have some issues. Oregon usually is a, is a guaranteed sellout. Washington, now that they're good again, you can you can – plan on selling some tickets there, but it, it's an issue at Arizona. We it's have, an issue at Arizona should, State. Should anyone have a problem that people in this part of the country don't center their life on college football? I don't know about have a problem, but it matters. It may matter, but is it out of whack? I mean, is that a, is that a goal to strive for? I mean, there's a lot to do out here. Here in this market, people can spend their time with family up in the mountains doing whatever they do. Here, there's beautiful opportunities to recreate here. Out on the uh, West Coast, uh, people uh, have other things to do. It's not like football is the only thing to do. Is that unhealthy? Gordon, I'll tell you this. I, I strive for a lot of things in my life. There's no doubt about it. I try to set a high bar for myself. But one thing I do not strive to be like is an Alabama football fan. I think that's a model citizen right there. Tim Duncan has been hired uh, by the San Antonio Spurs. He's going to be on Greg Popovich's staff as an assistant. And what did Pop say about that? Uh, Austin, hit us with that quote. Uh, Don Harris of Channel 4 down there in San Antonio quoted Popovich as saying, it is only fitting that after I served loyally for 19 years as Tim's assistant that he returns the favor. Hmm. You know, it's, it's always interesting when you hear about a great player who commits himself to something like that. Because I imagine that Tim Duncan does not need the money. Yeah, he probably uh, has plenty of dough. Now, you hear about some athletes who end up with less money and struggling a little bit. But I don't think Tim Duncan would – I don't know this, but he doesn't seem like the type that would fall for that. Um, so why do it? Because of the love of the game, because he wants to be around the game, because he misses the competition, because he misses the camaraderie. I bet that's part of it. Plus, I mean, you've got to do something with the rest of your life, Gordon. It's it's easy enough for us to say, well, he's got a, you know, hundred fifty million dollars in the bank or whatever it is for for Tim Duncan. Boy, he should just kick it, 
kick it on a, a tropical island for the rest of his days. You got to do more than just play golf. You can only play so much. Yeah, people need to to have meaning, have something to do. I mean, Charles Barkley. Well, maybe he's a bad example. Kenny Smith probably doesn't need the money, but he does TNT probably because he needs a gig. He needs to to do something with his life. Uh, um, you know, you see guys like Patrick Ewing get into coaching and things like that. It's like you, you know they probably don't need the dough, but. You, you, you've been living that lifestyle for your entire life. It's probably a, a shock to the system to all of a sudden not to be doing that. And I'm, I'm sure there's some love of the game and that sort of thing in there. But long and short of it, I bet Tim wants a job. But he's bored. Huh. Can't you find ways to be not to be bored that don't involve getting on an airplane and flying all over the country all basketball, all NBA season long? But maybe that's what he wants. All right. I'm, I'll, Good for him. I'll tell you this. Oh, my my father enjoys working. He probably you know could retire at some point, but he he wants to keep doing it. He, he enjoys what he's doing. So he does it because he loves it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's a certain amount of that to uh, to uh, probably your uh, station in life at the moment, Gordon. You love what you're doing. That probably True. plays a role, right? Yep. It does. I, I guess I would guess it's the same way with Tim. Yeah, it's just interesting. And I wonder how, you know, how we've talked about this before, Jake, that great players, how effective are they as coaches? Because it's hard for them to relate to people who aren't as good as they are. But but the big fundamental, <laughs> you should be able to pass a little bit of that on, don't you, you would think? think so, yeah. You would think so. I mean, like uh, like somebody like Kobe Bryant, I don't think would be a very good coach. Because how do you go onto the practice floor and say, well, you know, you go out there and do what I did. And then the player looks back. Why can't at you, you like, do it? Yeah, right. Like, What's the matter with you? What do you mean? You're Kobe Bryant. You did things that nobody else can do. <laughs> oh, good. That's all I wanted to hear. Thank you. You can leave now. All right, we'll talk to Chantel Jennings of The Athletic coming up right around the corner. We'll talk to her about what's going on with the Pac-12. Coming up next, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.